0: mindfulness mode 62 and they did not give me the transportation i walked and they arrested me
1: reach new heights of calm focus and happiness on mindfulness mode with me your host bruce langford on mindfulness mode we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm focused and happy Thanks so much for joining us here in Mindfulness Mode. To thank you for listening, I'll send you a free copy of my book. I teamed up with author Brian Tracy along with some other entrepreneurs to create the best-selling book called Cracking the Success Code. You'll learn more about my story and how I became an anti-bullying advocate, which later led to mindfulness and my mindfulness coaching. Get the book free at mindfulnessmode.com/cracking. Enter your name and email, and you'll have your book downloaded in no time. Enjoy the book, mindful tribe. Okay, mindful tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Robert Laurentis here with me today. Hey, Robert, are you in mindfulness mode?
0: I am in mindfulness mode.
1: That's great. Robert De Laurentiis is a pilot who absolutely loves flying his six-seater plane. It's a Piper Malibu Mirage. When he's flying, he feels like he's connecting with nature. Because, as he says, you're on top of cloud layers, flying by mountains, experiencing rain and snow. Now, in 2015, Robert flew around the globe in his plane, stopping at 22 countries over the span of 90 days. So, Robert, I want to jump right into your adventure flying around the globe. Why did you decide to undertake this unique journey?
0: You know, it was the most impossibly big dream I could dream, Bruce. And as a pilot, you know, we go on trips that are increasingly greater distances, increasingly more challenging. And then at some point, once you've started leaving the continental United States, the only thing that's left is really the entire planet. And for me, it was just the greatest thing I could comprehend doing in my plane.
1: Well, it must have been exciting. And I know you call yourself a Zen pilot. Tell us about what Zen means to you. You know,
0: being a Zen pilot is about a connection that I have with the planet when I'm in my plane. And when I'm in the plane and I'm up on top of a cloud layer and I have my noise-canceling headsets and the hum of a... 350 horsepower lycoming twin turbocharged engine and i can see you know the world with great perspective it's just a really peaceful calm present moment that i have and it's the time when i get the answers in life that i'm looking for and you know by removing all the distractions of life cell phones people knocking on doors problems that arise you create a space. And in that space, I find that spirit then fills it with the answers that I'm looking for.
1: So Robert, how long has this been part of your belief system? When did you discover this, this Zen and this spiritualism?
0: You know, it happened probably about five years ago, Bruce. And I have a business where I own apartment buildings. I was adding more and more buildings and each time I would get sort of an emotional business charge and then when I got to a certain point I realized that it wasn't happening anymore and it was about a hundred rental units and most landlords without the assistance maybe of outsiders can achieve about a hundred rental units in their lifetime and at that point my life just started to feel a little bit empty And I wanted more in my life. And I realized that adding more units to my portfolio wasn't going to do it. And I wanted to go in search of something bigger in my life. And it was in this moment of just total calm and peace that I often experience when I walk through the park here in San Diego at Balboa Park, and I was walking and The sun was out, the sky was as blue as it's ever been. The grass was greener than I had ever seen it before. I could see the water um, droplets on the grass. The birds were chirping, the air was crisp. And I realized it was the first time in my life that I had really experienced the park. And I had been walking through the park for 10 years. So at that moment in time, I think of it as sort of a spontaneous awakening. And I thought to myself, If I'm only now experiencing this park, maybe I've been numb to other things in my life. Maybe I've been numb in my relationships. Maybe I've been numb uh, in my business and with my family and just all these other situations. And that really was the moment where I decided I needed to pursue more in my life.
1: And would you equate this feeling with mindfulness or is mindfulness something that you see differently from the spiritualism and the Zen that you're describing? No,
0: I see a very direct connection with mindfulness. You know, when you realize you really can't control the past because it's happened and you have very little control over the future, then you're in the present moment. And truly experiencing that is, I think, when you start to truly experience life and that is the time when these magical awakenings, I think, happen. So that's what I try and focus on, is what, I have, what I'm what i experiencing right in this moment. And staying clear of the judgments that can go with that, You know, whether things are good or bad. We truly don't know if things are good or bad while they're happening. We do know that they're happening for our highest good. But beyond that, it's really not worth the time to try and figure out if something or, or to label it as good or bad.
1: So Robert, I'm interested in when this spontaneous awakening happened to you in relation to your trip. Did you decide to make your trip after this spontaneous awakening happened or where does it fit in?
0: That's a great question. Where it fits in is it was the beginning of my spiritual journey. And by following the, the signs or signals that I was given, I pursued my spirituality and started a three-year advanced degree in spiritual psychology with an emphasis in consciousness, health, and healing. And that's where I learned those spiritual concepts that I was able to apply in my business. And then once I applied them in the business, then the plane and flying became a reality because it's the resources of time and money that are required to fly. And that's exactly uh, what my book, Flying Through Life, is about, creating the abundance of time and resources in your life So that you can pursue your impossibly big dreams.
1: And so did you write the book after you completed your journey?
0: No, I wrote the first book flying through life before my trip. And the reason it came before the trip is because I was using those concepts and those principles to manifest the trip. And the trip was really a demonstration that the principles worked. And now that I'm back on that trip, there were certain spiritual lessons that I learned that I'm now sharing in a book called Zen Pilot. And Zen Pilot is composed of about five or six just very, very stressful, exciting, uh, unbelievable situations that I was surprised that I survived. And part of the reason I didn't reveal them while they were happening on the trip is because it was very difficult for people that were following me to to deal with that. So, for example, when I had um, my engine out over the Strait of Malacca at fourteen thousand feet, and I coasted nineteen point six nautical miles over the Strait of Malacca, over the jungle, into Kuala Lumpur International Airport, it just sent my followers, you know, through the roof. Uh, one in particular, my father, I think, was absolutely terrified. So I decided that it was probably best to share those stories when I returned and the risk was passed.
1: And were you alone on this journey?
0: I was alone for about, I'd say 80% of the trip. I did have one friend, spiritual mentor of mine, Susan Gilbert, meet me in Europe. And we went to probably five or six countries together. Then I had one other friend meet me in Australia for a couple weeks, but the high risk portions of the trip, specifically over the Atlantic, the Pacific and the Indian oceans were all done by myself. Just, you know, because I didn't want to subject somebody else to that kind of risk.
1: So this must have taken a lot of funding. I mean, the, the cost of fuel and I mean, you bought your own plane. How are you able to arrange the funding for this project?
0: You know, that's a great question, Bruce. And I have to say that I had divine assistance on this. When I first attempted or was starting to manifest this trip, I, I didn't know how I was going to pay for it because it is an enormous expense. And what I did is I had or made a contract with Spirit. I said, you know, if you want me to do this trip and you want me to lecture and share my experiences, I need some help financially. And I said, if you will make all my vacancies go to zero, if you will help me with this building that's just burned. And um, there was one other piece that I'm having a mind block on right now, but you know, the very next day, all of a sudden, oh, I know the third piece was a house that I had that I was trying to sell that was costing me a lot of money. Uh, had been on the market for three years, and within, I would say, a week, that house had a, a buyer that would buy the place, my vacancies went to zero, and the insurance company stepped in and agreed to pay for the damage that had been done to this apartment building. And, you know, Bruce, you could say, well, one thing is just, it just happened, two things is a coincidence, three things, you start to look for another explanation, And I want to share that I had 11 financial windfalls in the next two months. And everything, you know, from tax refunds to a buddy of mine who had passed away, who owed me money, his family, after 10 years, sent me a check in the mail for the full amount to another person who had promised some help with graduate education, wrote me a check. And on top of all that, if 11 wasn't enough, I had 37 sponsors that I was able to pick up in the span of about six months. So this was definitely a trip that was supposed to happen. And, you know, when things like that unfold perfectly, then you look for that other explanation. And the only one I could come up with was that I was being guided, that um, I was supposed to do this trip, that it was gonna benefit the world and me. And, you know, ultimately it's a demonstration of faith I can't come up with another explanation.
1: Well, 11 incidences. That's just incredible. And I imagine you started taking notes and jotting down these things after three or four of them. Is that right?
0: (laughs) You know, I did start, I, I made a list and I, um, I have that tucked away somewhere in my notes. It was just fantastic. You know, it was like, it was like an avalanche of just support and, that doesn't even include all the people along the way that were encouraging me because you have to imagine when you have a situation where you feel like maybe you shouldn't have lived through it, that you beat the odds and then you did it five more times, you know, that, that this was divine and the support that I got from people in the form of emails, phone calls, text messages, you know, posts was just Unbelievable. It, it actually brings me to tears when I think about it. It's it's just wonderful. It was by far the best part of the trip.
1: Well, it's a fascinating story, and we haven't even really heard a lot about the trip. But I want to talk about meditation and that part of your Zen spiritualism. What does meditation look, for, look like for you, Robert?
0: Well, you know, I have a, uh, a passage here from my book, if I can just read it. Sure. And we'll start with that. I wrote, when I am piloting a plane, I am most aware of my direct connection with spirit. My experience of gratitude, oneness, silence is unparalleled. Many of my most significant breakthroughs have come while I've been flying. I have found that flying is my meditation and my gateway to more love, abundance, and connection.
1: So mindfulness and flying is completely one for you, and meditation is too. So do you have, like, do you meditate daily besides flying?
0: You know, my meditation that I do daily are these walks in the park, and as I'm standing here, I'm actually looking out my window at the park, and this morning I decided to go for a walk when it was very quiet in the park and calm so that I could get into the right state of mind, but yes, my meditation happens daily, and it involves connecting with nature and walking through Balboa Park, which I... I never seem to get tired of. It's just absolutely beautiful. And every time I walk through there, I see something new and and beautiful and it reaffirms my connection with nature and and God.
1: Has nature always had this effect on you, Robert?
0: You know, I, I actually have to say no. It wasn't really until I started flying that I could truly appreciate nature. And I certainly have done enough hiking and skiing and you know, being out in nature, but there was something magical for me about flying. It was, in a way, it was my childhood fantasy come true because I always loved anything that, that flew. You know, it was uh, like a little boy. The word is entelechy, actually. And what that means is it's the acorn that will eventually become the oak tree. So you're born with all that. And I remember as a little boy driving by in the family car, of course, uh, San Carlos Airport and the Bay Area, and looking out the window at the airport and seeing those planes taking off and landing, just thinking that was the coolest thing ever. And then building model planes as a little boy, eventually remote control planes, and then finally flying, but at the late age of 44. So flying is pretty new to me. When I did my first trip across the North Atlantic, I had been flying for just three years and had about 700 hours of uh, flying experience. So the story is even better because, you know, it's it's something I've manifested later in my life. And it's a trip you could do after flying for a relatively short period of time if you really dedicated your heart and soul to it.
1: Incredible. Well, I'm curious about what you did between, uh, you know, your late teen years and the time you turned 44. What happened during those times And, and was mindfulness a part of your life then?
0: That's that's another good question, you know. That's the first uh, chapter of my book, and I believe I was a very different person, Bruce. I hammered at life, and the uh, opening lines of the book talk about a guy named Bobby D. Steamroller who would um, just basically run over people, and the closest. Uh, or the fastest way between two points was uh, directly over the top of people. At times, it was a very, very different time in my life. Very intense. Uh, you know, I believed that I could work a huge number of hours and get things done, and just always ratchet up the intensity. And in my book, Flying Through Life, it's about incorporating these spiritual principles that make your life easier and not harder.
1: Right, so back. So- so you were Bobby D. Steamroller then, and were you a bully?
0: Uh, yes, I was a bully. I intimidated people, uh, definitely, definitely.
1: And were you in real estate?
0: I was, and before that, I was in the Navy. Oh. In fact, uh, I could tell you a story about the Navy that might surprise you or shock you a little bit, to give you what an idea. What happened
1: in the Navy? Tell us that.
0: You know, I had a division – And I had a senior petty officer that worked for me, and we didn't get along very well. I was trying to push him at the same pace I was moving, and it just wasn't in the cards. And I just hammered and hammered and hammered. And I remember we were having a conversation um, that really just sort of crushed his spirit. And eventually he would go and talk to the master chief of the command, who was the senior enlisted guy on the ship. You know, a senior enlisted guy with probably 20, 30 years of experience, very seasoned. And this petty officer of mine just started to bawl in front of him. And I guess he literally kicked a garbage can across the room. He was so upset. And the senior or actually he was a master chief, I believe at the time. Uh, He said to me, he goes, "What, what are you doing to this man? And I said, I'm pushing him to his limits. And I said, I'm not accepting anything less than his very best. So, you know, it was a very, very intense time in my life. And that's why I think the story is even more compelling today, because people can change and do change. There just has to be that desire.
1: Tell us about the moment. When did that happen? When did you decide to change or how did it come about?
0: You know, I I think it was that moment in the park because I was just numb in my life. You know, there's a point where you can't give any more, like you can't push any harder. You don't have any more time to dedicate. You don't There's just you're totally totally maxed out and you hit a wall and Interestingly enough, Bruce, the wall is always you. And you realize that what's holding you back in your life is you. So going and taking, let's say, a graduate class in business isn't going to help your business anymore because you're the, the block. So you have to start working on yourself. And that is when the spiritual concepts came into play and my business grew from 100 rental units to 300 in the span of just a few years. So the changes can be miraculous, but you have to remove the logjam, which is, I would say, 99% of the time yourself, you know, when you get to that, that maxed out point. And I clearly was and am sort of a type A, so, you know, pretty hard driving type person. And I know there's a lot of them out there. I get emails from them after they read the book and just go, oh my God, you nailed it.
1: So describe that moment in the park.
0: Um, it's what I call blissing. And it's when you experience life on a much, much deeper level. And you're truly connected. And what the, the definition of flying through life means is when your purpose and your passion are in alignment. And I think... That's what's happened in my life now. But to go back to that moment, it was magical. And it's the best high that a person can experience. And it's, I think, why we're here. You know, it's a moment of intense love of nature of yourself. It's, it's just amazing.
1: Robert, you traveled to so many countries. I'm sure you met a lot of fascinating people. Tell us one person you met who may have influenced your mindfulness practice.
0: That's a great question as well. Um, and there's there's been many people. I, you know, this is going to sound kind of odd because it was such such a brief meeting. But I was in Istanbul, and. I walked into a restaurant where I was, you know, at the hotel where I was staying and I was getting ready to go on a tour for the day. And there was this, this man that sat me and he, he looked at me, he looked into my soul and he put his hands together and he bowed, you know, just a couple inches. And he said to me, he goes, good morning. And I thought to myself, my God, that is the most authentic you know, good morning I've ever received in my life. And it was like he was looking right through me, right into my soul. Very, very authentic. And I will never forget that experience. And how amazing that it could just be a few words.
1: And so you so, never had more words or a conversation with him. That was, the, that was the moment that had the impact. Is that right?
0: That was it. Just a few words. And totally unexpected. And you know it's interesting because I consider myself a spiritual person but as soon as I looked at this this person I thought oh my god this this is an evolved soul that's talking to me now I can feel it I can see it you know I'm experiencing it and it has tremendous impact it it's amazing
1: So, Robert, through all these adventures, was there ever a time when you felt as though mindfulness and spiritualism was not working for you, was not going your way?
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Um, You know, I um, I was 600 miles off the coast of California, and I was three months, and this was the eighth day of my trip. And I could literally zoom out on my touchscreen GPS and see the coast of California and my engine started to overheat and I was too far to sort of like bumble my way in, you know, limp sort of in Mm -hmm. and I take hourly engine readings when I'm flying uh, long distances because you can start to notice trends. Sure, and sure. the oil temperature um, was going up and it was amazingly consistent on my trip. You know, all the way through the Middle East, North Africa, Asia, the oil temperature was always very consistent. And I took this reading and it had jumped up about 10 percent. And I was like, oh, my God, I am so close, close. And it felt to me like this, like this cosmic torture, you know, like why did I have to keep being tested over and over and over again? Like, you know, I had, I I felt like I was almost suffering at times because it had happened so much. And I thought, you know, just let it end. You know, if you're going to take me, take me, don't just keep, Doing this to me. And you know, it was when I look back at it, I, I realized that one, it gave me some fantastic stories to share with people, but but more importantly, it was a strengthening of my faith every time it happened. Because these were things I couldn't explain, you know, and I always seemed to survive it. And I learned in the process. And the lessons are invaluable. So I think you have to really feel and experience the things. And the universe comes back and will teach you. It's kind of like a parent that's trying to teach its child a valuable lesson. So let's say the child is close to some flames. And the first time, you know, the parent lovingly says, no, no, you know, don't touch the fire. You're going to hurt yourself. And then the next time the child is trying to touch the fire. They might yell, you know, don't do that. And the next time, maybe they yell and then slap the child's hand. And then the fourth time the child gets burned and you can learn your lessons the first time or the fourth time. But the universe is like this loving parent that doesn't give up on you. And the lessons become stronger, more intense. So, I, you know, in hindsight, look back and realize that this was a deepening of my faith. And there was so much to learn about that, about the plane, about the planet. So I'm, I'm just so thankful for these things that happened. And they were not cosmic torture like I, I thought initially. But it's the loving parent or universe that's trying to teach me something that I absolutely need to know.
1: Well, Robert, it sounds like gratitude is a central part of your being. And I really appreciate the fact that you're talking a lot about your learning experiences. And I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time and know that there are a lot of learning experiences that come to us through what seem like bullying situations. Do you have a story you can share about something related to bullying?
0: I do. I do. And, you know, it was funny because Bruce... (laughs) When you sort of drew out that first story, I realized I've probably been the worst bully ever. So um, I was in Muscat, Oman, and very frustrated because I had landed and there were these huge commercial planes all around me. We had sent an email requesting fuel at a specific time, and I sat in my plane, it was probably a hundred and... 14 degrees outside, just sweating profusely, frustrated beyond belief. Nobody came to help me. And eventually I would stop different cars asking them to take me in because I felt like I was going to pass out from the heat. And they would just get on the radios and call somebody who would basically do nothing. Finally, there was a police car that came up, was driving by, and I asked him, I stood in front of the car and he sort of slammed on his brakes. And I said, I need your help. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And he put his hand on his gun and he goes, not my problem. Get out of the way. So eventually I realized that nobody was going to help me. And I walked to um, this office, which was the command center for the airport. And they were upset with me that I had broken the airport rules. And I said, well, I chose my health over your rules. So the next step was to get to the terminal and they were gonna have somebody drive me because I wasn't allowed to walk. And I waited for another two hours and they wouldn't you know, provide me with the transportation. So I eventually said, hey, I'm gonna walk unless you get me this transportation. And they did not give me the transportation. I walked and they arrested me. And the distance I was walking was maybe about 200 feet. So they put me on a little mini trial, and I was sitting there by myself in this Middle Eastern country having all these thoughts about my time during the Gulf War because I'm a Gulf War veteran and I was in the Navy for about 14 years active in reserves, and there were 11 people that would eventually come into that room and were basically trying me. They were asking me questions. They were writing the stuff down. They were trying to get me to sign, you know, this, this document that they had written up in a language that I didn't understand. And there were people in suits and white robes and military uniforms, and they were yelling at me. And, you know, I felt like I was being bullied, but I was maybe in hindsight, this was not the best thing to do, but I was sort of at times yelling back at them and holding my ground, refusing to be bullied. And it was very intense. It went on for an hour. And, you know, there was this moment where I turned my head to the side and I could just feel like the tears starting to come. And I was like, oh, my God, I cannot, you know, show any sign of weakness in this moment because they're going to lose respect for me. I have to hold my ground. And I asked for inspiration and strength. And eventually I ended up in the police office and they were holding me. And I was sitting there. I was not, you know, behind bars or anything like that, but I was sitting there and they told me not to leave. And I, I took my fist and I slammed it on the desk. And I said, you know, I'm an American citizen being held against my wishes. You either let me go or let me call my embassy. And in that moment, there was a sense of panic that I think came over them because they realized they had potentially an international incident on their hands. And I mean, I felt like I was being bullied and intimidated, and I was not going to have it. Now, you know, they, at that point, they let me go, and I got to walk out of there with my passport, and the fueling of my plane happened, although it was delayed by 24 hours, and I was eventually allowed to leave, but I felt like that was probably one of the most intense moments in my life where I felt like I was being bullied and intimidated, and I held my ground. But um, I have to tell you that night when I got back to my hotel room, I was shaking and, you know, again,
1: questioning. I can believe it. What a powerful story, Robert. It really is. Robert, my next questions are part of the multimode round. Just short 30 second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice?
0: I would say it'd be Susan Gilbert. And I have a dedication here I can read quickly if that is Okay. Sure. If there is ever a person in this lifetime has helped me find my wings, oh, it's emotional. take flight and soar, it would be Susan PC Gilbert. She has been a friend across the ages and has introduced me to my three life passions, flying, small business, and spirituality. These have been directly or de- delicately woven together and are the heart and soul of this book. Susan lovingly encouraged, nudged, and elevated me while demonstrating the patience of an angel. While well, I dreamed as impossibly big as my heart would allow, she opened it even wider than I could have ever imagined. So definitely Susan. Yeah.
1: How has mindfulness affected your emotions?
0: You know, it's kept me calm in the most challenging situations. And I've decided not to try and label things as good or bad because I don't always know what, you know, a spirit's intention is for me. So by not judging them good or bad, I save myself the judgment of myself. Because you can't judge a situation or a person without actually judging yourself. So mindfulness has helped me to stop judging myself as much.
1: Robert, tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice.
0: You know, breathing is something I need to work on. I'll be perfectly honest about that. But when I work with my breathing, it's usually when I'm in bed Uh, attempting to fall asleep and I just really focus on my breaths and I'm thankful for every breath that I'm taking because I realize that you know my life while while my soul may be eternal that my physical life on the planet uh, is not so I'm in a space of gratitude uh, breathing and that's usually how I fall off to sleep at night.
1: Robert if you could recommend a book on mindfulness what would that be?
0: Oh um my favorite book is uh, Don Miguel Ruiz's Four Agreements. And he just breaks life down into these, you know, four agreements and they're so simple and they're so basic and it's very much focused on being in the now. Actually, you know, Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now maybe is even a better example, but back to Don Miguel Ruiz, he says, one of my favorite quotes is, he says, if you're going to tell yourself a story, you might as well make it a good one. And that's probably the first book I ever read on spirituality. So I'd say probably that one.
1: Okay. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful?
0: (sighs) You know, it's not going to be the app that you think. Um, I'm going to suggest, and this is for pilots, but the Garmin Pilot app, because it enables me to fly anywhere in the world. In fact, I was using it to uh, fly north of the Arctic Circle at one point when my flight instruments failed me. And it was because of that Apple iPad and that Garmin Pilot application that I was able to find my way uh, safely to my destination. So... Yeah, not the one you would expect, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) What advice would you give a person, Robert, who is new to mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life?
0: I would say shut off your cell phone, go for a walk, do whatever you're passionate about and do it by yourself and just listen because in the silence is where the answers are. And um, there's a quote and it's that, Ox, or silence is oxygen for the soul. And it's it's a powerful, powerful quote. So just be by yourself, be quiet, and listen.
1: Robert, this has really been fascinating. It's been exciting to hear your stories, and you've really almost taken us on your journey with you. It's, it's so fascinating. And I'm inspired by all these different things you've done in your life, Robert, how can Mindful Tribe learn more about what you do and maybe connect with you?
0: Well, I have a website. It's uh, through, life.com. Also, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, and Google+. We have a very strong social media presence so those are great places. Facebook actually is my favorite on my profile. That's the one I spend the most time on. So if somebody wanted to reach out, I'm always available there.
1: Well, it really is a fascinating story you have to tell. So I, I look forward to reading your book. All the best to you, Robert.
0: Well, thank you, Bruce. And thanks for connecting. And thanks for spreading the word. And thank you for what you're doing for the world. It's, it's all positive.